What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to the Big Uglies podcast, hosted by myself, Pat, aka the Big Guy. And I was thinking, how often am I going to introduce myself like that? Because it kind of is annoying to myself. Just I feel like stupid saying my own name, hosted by myself. But I was thinking, that's such a new podcast that there's new listeners every episode because we're growing and people don't really know who I am yet. And I feel like we're not at the point where I'm big enough where I can just say, hey, what's going on, guys? So until we reach a point where I think that I don't have to do that anymore, just bear with me for, for all you listeners that have been listening this whole time and know I'm Pat and you're like, I don't have to, you don't have to do this every single time. Just, it's just not about you. Okay. It's about the other listeners and introducing myself. So I know who the hell I am because a lot of people might be coming from different sources because I've been posting on things like Reddit and whatnot. And they, not, might, they might not be familiar with the weird big guys accounts. So with all that being said, welcome back to the show. I feel like it's been a little bit, I've, I haven't put out a show since before the NFL draft. And I just want to start by saying I got four of the top 10 correctly in my mock draft. We are big guys mock draft and per a TikTok account. And I know TikTok's probably not the best uh, resource to use for this kind of information, but I trust this guy. He just seemed like he knew what he was doing. The average for like the quote unquote experts was about five. So technically speaking, I'm only one off from the quote unquote experts. So I'm pretty happy with myself for the first go around ever. And the only reason that I was even off completely is because the Bengals didn't take Sewell. And out of the principle being the big guy, I had to put like it just they had they should have took him. So I technically I technically speaking, I wasn't even wrong. I probably should have more than four. The Bengals just the Bengals, Bengals bangled and they took a receiver instead of a lineman. That just threw my whole entire mock draft off. But hey, what are you gonna do? I I, I wish the Bengals, I wish Chase, I wish I wish everyone a lot of luck. And I think this was a really exciting draft. I feel like for some reason, this draft is like the next generation of talent in the NFL. Kind of like every five to 10 years or so, you just have a big surge of like new talent and generational guys. And I just feel like I have a feeling that this this draft is going to be one of those drafts where they're going to be some stars here or there for the next, you know, five, 10 years in the NFL. So we'll see what happens. We'll see who ends up being those stars. And before we get into the show, I just want to let you know that this show is sponsored by Liquid IV. I've talked about them before. They're the best electrolyte packets in the game. And now they even have other types of packets like energy, sleep, immune supplements. I use them every week. I love them. I won't ever promote a product that I don't personally use and love. So if you're interested in trying them or already use them, Use discount code We Are Big Guys and get 25% off your order with free shipping as well. And it's unlimited. You can use as many times as you want. And if you have Instagram and are following the We Are Big Guys on the Instagram, head over to the partner section. It's a highlight in the profile. And the discount code, all you have to do is swipe up and it's automatically applied and takes you right to the website. So you don't have to deal with putting in the code correctly and worrying about all this and that. So that would be my suggestion for you if you want to use this code. And with that, thank you for the people who have used it. I wish I could see who actually used it because obviously it doesn't it doesn't tell me that. It just gives me like how many have been using it and, and the date and time, whatever. I wish it gave me the name or like email that way. Maybe if I do some free merch or something like giveaway, you guys would be the front runners of that list. So if you're buying it, thank you so much for supporting the podcast. I really appreciate it. Now, the layout of today's episode, first and foremost, we have to talk about it. Aaron Rodgers situation in Green Bay. Absolutely crazy. And then after we touch on the Aaron Rodgers situation, the Aaron Rodgers madness, Green Bay is melting down currently. Former co-host Stan is melting down currently. We're going to move segue into the interview with Baylor Bears offensive line coach Eric Mateos, where we talked about his coaching journey thus far from being a grad assistant making $250 a month to coaching under guys like Coach O at LSU, Coach Pittman at Arkansas, 
and his recruitment of Frank Ragnall to Arkansas, who has just recently become the highest paid center in the NFL. We also talked about his time at BYU, coaching guys like Brady, who was on the podcast earlier, and being around Zach Wilson, the number two overall pick in this year's NFL draft. And aside from football, we talked about some of the things Eric enjoys doing off the field, like his love for sneakers, vacationing spots, concerts, the rivalry of the Kansas-Texas barbecue, and of course, his favorite foods and the best spots to eat when in Waco. And then after the interview with Eric, I'm going to touch on the Tim Tebow situation because I feel like that's very interesting, polarizing news that has come out and kind of want to give my opinion and take on it. And then that's going to, that's all it's going to be. I'm going to wrap it up after that. So starting with the Aaron Rodgers situation, this is my take on it. And I, along with no, anybody else besides a few people, really know what's going on behind the scenes. First, I have to say Adam Schefter is just a scumbag for holding that information and then waiting for the first night of the draft to drop that bomb on Twitter. And he just knew he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. It's a, it's a it's an all around dirty move. And I can understand why Packers fans everywhere were very upset when it came out that he did, in fact, just wait to drop this bomb on draft night, unbeknownst to anybody in the Rogers camp, Packers camp. Obviously, no one wanted that to come out especially on the first night of the draft. I can't even imagine the madness, the sheer madness that was going on in Green Bay because of this. But what I will say is that none of what he said was all factual stuff. Now, may it be blown out of proportion because of the way it was delivered? Yes. But at the end of the day, we still know that Aaron Rodgers is very upset and unhappy with the situation at Green Bay, and he has been. And he he's made that known by little jabs here and there and obviously with the drafting of Jordan Love he definitely was not happy about that I think everyone knew that and then when Rodgers publicly praised Kumaro and then like the next day I think the Packers cut him which is another kind of like slap in the face to Rodgers and just makes him look like an idiot kind of and then of course as we all know the NFC championship game just an interesting decision not to go for it on fourth down and settle with the field goal when you have maybe the most high-powered offense in the NFL and taking the ball out of maybe the best quarterback in the league's hands at the in the, the moment you need the reason you got have a guy like this the reason you pay all this money you take the ball away from him doesn't make any sense so there's obviously been some tumultuous times in Green Bay with the relationship of Rodgers and the front office and coaching staff but before i say what i would personally do if i were the packers i also want to just make it clear that while i understand the frustration of Aaron Rodgers and he has he's a lot of fair points and how a lot of the stuff went down these past few years. I also think it, it's important to to state that a lot of people and I think Rogers himself, they always claim that like he has no weapons or like they're not drafting high receivers and, and this and that. And I just couldn't disagree more. Uh, you look at the Packers offense and defense. Now they have Devonte Adams, who's one of the best receivers in the game. You have an amazing offensive line. Ellen Jenkins, Bakhtiari has been the top left tackle the past X amount of years. Aaron Jones is a great running back. Their defense, they went out and got both those Smith brothers. I know they're not brothers, but the, both the Smith bros coming off the edge. They got drafted maybe the best lockdown corner in the NFL. Like he, he has ample weapons and a great team around him and a great franchise. So I think this isn't just like the Packers screwed up this whole situation. While I agree they deserve some blame for sure. It's it's a little falls on Rodgers too. Like, come on, man. It's it's not like you're you're working with a poverty franchise with no talent around you. So I think just in general, it's just a really it's a mess of a situation and is really reminiscent of just how Favre kind of just flew the coop in a similar fashion. And I think it's just very ironic and kind of hypocritical how Rodgers is all pissed off that 
Love comes in behind him. Well, he came in behind Favre and took his spot, did the same exact thing. So that's my two cents on the whole situation as a whole. Now, if I were the Packers, I think you you literally have two options. Option A is keep Rodgers and say you have total control of the team. Whatever you want, we're going to do, kind of like how Brady is in Tampa, we're going to do our best to get whoever you want on this team and try to win a Super Bowl within the next, I don't know how many years he has left, maybe next three years, three to five years, I don't know. Option B is to trade him and get as many draft picks or young talent stars that you can get for him and then move on and either play Jordan Love or Blake Bortles, whoever, and and that's what it is. Because the way I view it is if he is actually as mad and disgruntled and upset as he he claims that these reports are coming out, you don't even want that in your locker room. I understand he's amazing and you like he's just one of the best quarterbacks in the league. At a certain point, the front office and owners and, and coaching staff, they don't want that. No matter how good you are, that's just you're just annoying at some point. So those are the two options that I think the Packers have. And it'll be interesting to see which way they go with it. Now, obviously, you want to keep Rodgers. He's amazing and you have a little window here to potentially win another Super Bowl. So you want to do that. But if the rumors are true and is he is as upset as everyone says he is, and he's like threatening retirement, then you really have no choice. I would try to trade him to whoever wants him and get whoever giving me the most bang for my buck for Rodgers. I would do that. And I know it hurts. It stinks. Obviously Packers fans. I, I'm, I'm, I feel for you. Like it's a terrible situation, but I'd rather leave the situation with something rather than nothing. You know what I mean? So that's my two cents on the situation. We'll see what happens in green Bay. Either way, it's something to talk about in the offseason, so I'm not, I'm not hating against it. And now that we got that out of the way, let's jump into my interview with Baylor Bears offensive line coach Eric Mateos. And I don't know if any astute listeners have noticed this yet, but music has come up on a lot of these podcasts, interviews, and I try to incorporate certain artists that we've talked about in the interview, in the intro. That's why the new songs have been coming in and out every other week. So if you listening to this full episode, then... You'll understand this intro into the podcast. And for the first time ever in the Big Uglies podcast history, we are joined by a college football offensive line coach. Since 2014, our guest has had 13 NFL players, including eight draft picks, he is currently coaching in the trenches for the Baylor Bears. Please welcome to the show, Coach Eric Mateos. Big uglies. Is that was what are the what are the the followers called? Are they the big uglies? So my main Twitter account are just the big guys, and that's the we are big guys. So the we are big guys is everyone involved in the family. And then I didn't want to just have the we are big guys podcast. I feel like they didn't have the best ring to it. So I named the podcast Arm of the We Are Big Guys. The Big Uglies podcast because that's that's what we that's what we truly are. Yeah, well, I'm I think uh, I'm honored to be a part of the Big Uglies podcast. I look at myself as a a big ugly. <laughs> and before we get started, just to connect the dots a little bit too, Eric coached Brady Christensen, who's a friend of the podcast at BYU. So that is the connection, and yeah, I've always noticed that Eric has followed me, and I've always wanted to bring on a college offensive line coach just to get your perspective. So I'm really excited that you're able to join us, and uh, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, well, I anything to promote 
the position, the game itself, and the game within the game, which is the O-line world. Um, I'm always eager to talk about it with anybody that wants to do it. Of course. And now you did play college football and you were a two-time captain. So I don't want to gloss over that. But I am more interested in your coaching journey and your coaching career. And I feel like I might have a lot of questions popping up here and here and there because I think it's a really interesting like track. So I'm going to start off and get right into it. When did you know or realize that you wanted to get into coaching after playing? So I had been um, I had been intrigued with it. Really, it was uh, so I started out at a junior college as a player. And, and if you're from Kansas, it was pretty common in that time to go play at one of the eight Kansas Chucos. And so I did that. And then I transferred to Southwest Baptist University, which is a D2 in Bolivar, Missouri. And um, like when you, when, you, when you start playing college football, you really don't see the big picture. You kind of just see your job, your role, where you're at. And then when I transferred to SBU, I had an O-line coach uh, named Ben Blake, who is an amazing, amazing coach. And, and he, was, he was the first guy I met that was like going to these, these O-line clinics and bringing back stuff. And so you know, he's actually the O-line coach at Black Hill State, an offensive coordinator over there now. But Ben, Ben was my O-line coach and he would go to the cool clinic and he would bring back different techniques. He show me the DVDs and like, hey, check this out. Here's this new technique that we might try on our double teams. Here's a new technique for your back blocks. I played center. And mm-hmm. so it was, it was one of those things where he was like exposing me to this world that I didn't even know existed of like other techniques and other, and I was like, wow, there's a lot of football that I have no idea about. And that was kind of the first time where I became, you know, interested in that as like a possible profession. And then I actually, you know, I, I, I was a student coach my first year ever coaching. I was a student coach. It was a really eye-opening experience. I was helping my head coach, Keith Allen. I was helping with special teams. I was like the special teams GA Mm -hmm. my very first year. And uh, just kind of the work that went into it, I kind of became, you know, I became kind of obsessed with it during that time. But then um, I was graduating and I did my, well, the reason I was a student coach is I needed an extra semester to graduate my undergrad because I had transferred from the junior college and not all my credits transferred, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And so I needed that extra semester to graduate. So that's when I was a student coach. And then when I did graduate in December, uh, I was trying to find a GA job and SBU didn't have a GA job available for me. And I was like applying at different places to be a GA. I remember very vividly, like I tried, there was an O-line GA job in Bemidji State in Minnesota. And I was like, I was trying so hard to get it. I was emailing, it was on the football scoop and I'm emailing every day. I'm like trying to be an O-line GA and I can't get anybody to hire me. I mean, not a soul at any level. Mm -hmm. And so I actually, I actually got discouraged and I was like, okay, I'm not going to be a coach now. And so I went, I went back to Kansas city where I'm from, where I grew up and I, I got a job as a, at a staffing agency to work as staffing for, you know, medical positions like nurses and Mm -hmm. radiologists and whatnot. And so I actually accepted the job. My mom took me to buy two, two new suits uh, to where to work. And then 
the the two days later, Ryan Rhodes, who's the head coach at Hutchinson Community College, called me and asked me if I wanted to come coach tight ends and live in the dorms. And I said no. I said <laughs> I moved on. Uh-huh. I moved on from the dream. You know, Tommy Mangino is a friend of mine. He's the OC at Lake Travis, and Jay Neverett. Uh, is the running back coach at Tulsa now and uh, Brandon Staley was actually he was at Hutch and he's the head coach of the Chargers now and Mm. they were all on staff and they were like recruiting me calling me recruiting me to come be the tight ends coach and I said no and then finally I went out and um, was having dinner with my dad he said you know what what do you what's your dream I was like I don't know I mean I don't I just my dream would be to be involved with football. He goes, well, why don't you just take this coaching job? And I was like, well, I accepted this other job. And my dad gave me great advice. He said, listen, you can work. You can, you know, the way he put it is you could go work for the man for the next 30 years of your life and never love what you do. Or you could just go chase this, this dream and just see what happens. And, and he was right. And I did it. And, you know, and then my journey started. Yeah. I mean, and, that, and that's, Great advice by your dad. And that's how I view a lot of things too. You might as well at least try it and then fail. You can go back and always do what everyone else is doing per se. But coaching is interesting to, interesting to me because I had a question about your first job, your first gig. Is it something that you just take any chance you can get? Is that is that everyone's route? Or are there some people out there who have maybe a little connections here or there that they can get to certain places that they want to start out at? Or is it just a crapshoot for everyone? You know, I, I think um, my opinion on this has kind of been steady over the years because of my journey. You know, a lot of guys are blessed to be Division One players. And when they're Division One players, they play for Division One coaches and they make Division One connections. And Right. That's, that's guys, what I'm referencing. Yeah. A lot of guys have those doors open to them. Uh, because of those connections and that's great and that's not to diminish anybody's Mm -hmm. path but like for me I didn't know anybody in division one football I didn't you know I wasn't good enough to play it and and um I didn't know anybody in it and really even the people that I knew in division two in junior college really didn't help me except for my junior college coach who was the one that hired me Mm -hmm. uh so I think guys like the advice I give people all the time is um, you got to be willing to, to go coach. I think coaching is, is learned as you go. I think you, you learn who you are as a coach and who you want to be as a coach. And I tell people all the time, like I went and I lived in, I lived in the dorm and I made 250 bucks a month and I got my CDL so I could drive the team bus. I was washing the laundry every night. I was, I was recruiting, setting up official visits and recruiting and driving, you know, all over the state of Kansas back and forth. And, you know, it was a grind and, right. and I was, had to work in the dorms and all that. So blah, 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 blah. So what, well, my point was, is I, I was doing all that so I could be a football coach. Yeah. And I think and, you say blah, 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 but I think that's the most important aspect here. And what a lot of people don't realize what happens behind the scenes is for you to get where you've gotten already, you were doing stuff like that to make this all possible. And even though you haven't had, you know, the connections or D1, whatever, you've already coached under some amazing people. And like you already said, the Chargers, the Chargers head coach, um, you also were with Coach O at LSU. And uh, one of my favorite guys, Coach Pittman, 
at Arkansas. So what has being around those kind of type of guys, even if it's just from a seeing how they run their ship situation, like what have you been able to take from, you know, just learning experiences so far? Well, I think if, I think the number one thing that you want to do as a young coach is just soak in every piece of information and detail from everybody you're around. I mean, I've learned things from guys that aren't even on my side of the ball. I mean, I've learned, you know, you know, coach, uh, coach Rhodes was my, was my um, guy who hired me for my first gig at, at Hutch coaching the tight ends. And I learned more about just how to be on a staff. You know, you, you don't realize what that really is while you're a player. Like, what does it mean to be part of a coaching staff? And so just from like, even from that standpoint to, um, you know, working for coach Orgeron, like you mentioned, and just seeing his attitude and his energy that he brings to people and how he's trying to build people up and, and coach Pittman, you know, how, how you treat your players, how do you talk to your players? But there's things you learn for people from people that you don't even directly work under. Like I remember I learned so much from Randy Shannon, just listening to him talk in meetings and staff meetings at Arkansas mm. and, and, you know, listening to Corey Raymond, talk about his DBs at LSU. I mean, just there's so much knowledge. And I think when you're young, it's just how much can you constantly soak in and process and learn the game? And, you know, I'll never forget it. Like we, uh, Jim Chaney um, was our offensive coordinator at Arkansas my first two years. And he made us break down. He made us break down every single play from the NFL season, which was about 35,000 snaps. <laughs> and uh, I remember I would go in there and ask him a question about this clip and this clip and this clip. And finally he's getting tired of me asking him so many questions. He says, Hey, go in my office. And I got the 2007 Rams playbook in there. It's got everything you need to know. Just ask that thing, you know? And so that was like a great lesson of just like, Hey, I can find answers on my own. And so there's just so much that you pick up from mm -hmm. people. And so you just got to be willing to listen. Now, I just want to preface this by saying, I, I think I asked you to come on this podcast before the Frank Ragnow contract news broke. So this is just a coincidence. And I found this out while I was researching you. And this is a direct quote from Frank. And he said that you were the first person to reach out to him from Arkansas. And I thought, yeah. man, that's a really cool kind of coincidence that I'm having you on while all this is happening. Um, so because I want to get into the recruiting aspect of a lot of listeners are, are high school guys. Um, and I want to start the recruiting segment by talking about Frank Ragnow. And what was it like? You know, you saw him. You were the first one of the first people to recognize him for Arkansas and to seeing where he was in high school to now all the way up to the NFL, the highest paid center in the league. I mean, that has to be a pretty, pretty awesome, you know, claim to fame experience. Well, it's not really fame as much as is as much as is. I just was I was lucky to be a part of his journey a little small piece a little small blip in his in his football journey but he's just um he's a great human being and you know when you're when I was a GA when I was the O-line GA at Arkansas my goal you know my personal goal was that I was going to watch every single O-lineman in the country like there was just some weird like goal I made for myself was every single high school lineman in the country that I could find on any database, rivals, 24-7, or whatever, 
I was going to find, I was going to print out every single guy and I was going to watch every single guy mm-hmm. in, in the country. And that was just kind of a personal challenge to myself. And, and, you know, and usually Minneapolis area is not on the Arkansas radar for recruiting, but I found, I found Frank's film and yeah, just right away you, you saw it, you saw the, the power and the explosiveness and the balance and just what a great athlete was. He's a great basketball player to, mm-hmm. you know, throwing down fast break dunks as a, as a, as a tackle in high school, you just couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't not know, you could not notice that athleticism. And so, yeah, I passed that, I passed that information on to, to coach Pittman and, and coach Pittman went and saw him in the spring and then in the summer, him and his, uh, his late father, John Ragnow, um, mm-hmm. came and visited on a little spring tour and, and, you know, and after once, once he got to campus, Frank did the rest. So he made, he made us all look good. <laughs> and the rest is history. You mentioned uh, him, you know, off the field playing basketball. So one of my questions for you is when you're looking at recruits now, evaluating guys, what are some of the main attributes that you look for in offense linemen that you're recruiting and what are things that guys can do to set themselves apart aside from, you know, having like a killer highlight tape? Yeah. I mean, I, the way I kind of look at it now is I'm recruiting big athletes and that might mean a guy plays full-time O-line. He's played O-line his whole life. That could mean that he's, he's playing defensive end. That could mean that he's playing tight end. You know, I think what I'm, for me personally, what I'm looking for, the, the probably the most important things is do they love playing the game? You know, can you see the passion? Can you see the, the effort that kind of indicates to you that they love playing football? And I think number two is, does, can a guy, is he willing to put his face on someone? You know, people a lot of times will look at a guy who might be 240 pounds and say, hey, you know, this guy's, is he going to get big enough? Is he going to get big enough? Is he going to get strong enough? And I have news for the world that America is the fattest country in the world. And, and every time that you wonder, is a guy going to get big enough? He's probably going to get big enough. Mm-hmm. And it's not like the NFL is drafting 350 pound guys every pick. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the weights of guys, they're anywhere from, from 300 to 310, 315. And so we're not, we're not signing, we're not signing um, these humongous guys or the NFL is not drafting them. And so you have to, it's a developmental position. So that's why you see the stories every year of some old linemen that uh, played high school basketball and played tight end. And then he's first round tackle, you know, Right. And so I think when you look at the willingness to put your face on somebody, whether they're 240 or 280 or 290, if you see that on the tape, that matters. And then I think the third most important thing is, is that guys are, have range. And what I mean by range is they can, you know, the, the game is, uh, is changing. And so there's a lot of like, you know, little short choppy steps. You have the RPOs. You don't want the guys to go down the field, blah, blah, blah. That's not really what I'm looking for. Like when I talk about range is can a guy move his body from point A to point B? 
Like mm. ignore the foot, ignore the footwork, ignore the, you know, if it's maybe not the right angle, you know, you can coach those things, but can he move his body from point A to point B really fast? And those are the guys I think that develop into the best high uh, college alignment. And I think those are the guys that ultimately get, get drafted. Has your recruiting or recruiting approach in general, has that changed from what well, you're talking at BYU to now at Baylor? given that you're now a power five or does that not matter? Yeah. Well, I think it, I think it matters. You know, I think every school is unique. And if, if you want to, um, if you want to recruit players to, that are going to be successful, you, you're at your university, you have to take in all factors. Um, when I was coaching at LSU, that might be a different kind of kid that would fit in there versus a kid that would fit in at BYU versus a kid that would fit in at Baylor. And so I think ultimately the responsibility of, of myself is to find which, which players fit that university mm-hmm. and which players are going to fit what you want to do as a coach. You know, if, if I want to run, if I want to run a bunch of different a gap runs, well, then I might be okay with going to sign, for 325 pounders but for me i'm 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 gonna ask my guys to move a lot in space and so you know the guys i'm looking for is might not be the the 330 pounders it might be the 260 pounders that have range and that are athletic and so i think it's it's about who fits your university and then who's going to fit your offense and what you guys want to do and you've done that pretty well so far at least in your young career um, briefly, just touching on BYU for a second, you led an offensive line that was the offensive line unit for one of the most high-powered offenses in college football. I think you guys, I have the stats here, you ranked top 15 in 10 different statistical categories, stuff like scoring and total offense and passing yards. And the offensive line as a whole led up 12 sacks in 12 games, which was the eighth best average in the country. So we don't. however you're recruiting or coaching, you're clearly – Um, doing a good job but I I also want to just ask quickly what it is like being around you know guys like Brady Christensen you know and Zach Wilson's of the world and what was it like you know being able to coach like such special special guys on and off the field Uh, I imagine Zach is just as awesome as Brady was so um, what was that like for you yeah well we you know it wasn't just um, Brady on that O-line no there's a lot of guys and and I'll really, you know, Clark Barrington and, and Kiefer Longson and Harris Lachance and Tristan Hodge, Shannon Herring, James M.P., um, Joe Tukawafu, uh, Blake Freeland. A, a lot of guys went into that. And so um, they were all a joy to coach. They made my life really easy. Um, they knew that I was going to change something with our protection plan on Thursday afternoon. And they always <laughs> were, you know, willing to adapt with me and, and I think when you when you coach uh, just smart, competitive, tough guys that love to play the game, um, I think the coachable piece, you know, that's one thing that I've found over the years is probably one of the most underrated things uh, for offensive linemen is who's coachable. And that was what Brady is. Brady was the most coachable player I've ever coached where, you know, there was there was literally one day in, during summer workouts going into 2019 where I came up to Brady just in the locker room and said, Hey, we should think about changing your, your pass set. 
and, uh, you know, just throwing around some ideas and, and he gets up and he wants to do it right there in the middle of the locker room. And he wants to see me demonstrate it. And he wants to, he's, you know, and so he's right away, he's wanting to know what I'm talking about. And, and so I, when you look at coaching online, when you have really coachable players, that makes the job a lot easier. And then Brady's competitive nature kind of kicks in and, and his work ethic. And he did the, he did, he did it all himself after that. And then like being around guys like Zach, Zach was, awesome you know there's there's a long there's a lot of time um there where a lot of people didn't think Zach Wilson should be the starting quarterback at BYU Mm. and um the one thing that stayed true is is the coaches in that staff room we always believed in Zach we always knew that he was you know our best option and and you know he always he competed he was very humble the whole time but he just never flinched and he never gave in and you know, I, I told a couple, I told several scouts this story um, during the offseason that would call me and ask me about our, our old lineman from BYU. And then, and, you know, they almost always ask me what I think about Zach Wilson. And, and Zach, um, you know, there was a Wednesday night, probably like week 11 of the season, Wednesday night at 1030. And I had a couple of centers that were out with COVID or injuries. And so I had like our fourth string center was getting reps at practice mm-hmm. on Wednesday. And we were doing a goal line session and Zach and the fourth string center fumbled the snap during practice. And I get a text at 1030 at night from Zach asking me what happened, you know, what did I do wrong here and how can I get this fixed? You know, and, and I, I just remember being so dumbfounded and wanted to respond to him and be like, Hey, Zach, it's the fourth string you know, true freshman center. <laughs> I, I bet it was his fault. You know, like, yeah. I wanted to say that to him, but just his humility and how eager he was to always be great. You know, none of the results of both of those players were surprising to me. Mm-hmm. They were, they were awesome. Yeah. It's just, it does, it's a testament to, you know, what kind of characters those guys are. And, and I'm definitely going to be rooting for him in the league. That's for sure. And I'm going to move on from BYU, even though I, I would love to ask you about your thoughts on the college football playoff, but I'm not going to go there for, for time. <laughs> for probably, time. That's probably a good idea. <laughs> for time for time reasons and your, yourself, I don't know. I don't want to get into that. Uh, but now you're with the Baylor Bears down in Waco, Texas. How has that move been? I remember your video kind of went viral. I think that was in Waco, right, when you were like in the, the, the sleet or whatever, pushing your car. Oh, um, yeah. So how has that move been and transition and how do you – Enjoying your new guys, new family, essentially. Yeah, well, I was super blessed when, when you know, Coach Aranda um, called me on the Tuesday before I got, I got married to, you know, offer me the job. And uh, I was, I've always loved um, the way Coach operates. You know, we worked together for a year at LSU. And, and so I've always known he's a, he's a great coach. And then when he called me that opportunity, it was during the week of my wedding. And it was like one of those things where I had to kind of pretend to ask my wife permission, but you know, <laughs> we were going, we were going to Baylor. It was an opportunity we couldn't pass up. So, uh, no, I love Waco. I love being at this university, um, you know, from, from the president down to our athletic director, Mac Rhodes, um, you know, there's, there's other places I've coached, um, where, you know, I never met the athletic director 
you know, but maybe once or twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, you know, I see, I see Mac Rhodes every day. He stopped by and asked me how I'm doing. And so just from his leadership down to coach Aranda, it's been great. The university's mm-hmm. been great. We had a snowstorm, like you referenced, which Waco was not ready for. <laughs> um, you know, I always think of like the, he wasn't ready joke. Like that was Waco. We were not yeah. ready for the snow. And neither were a lot of the drivers down here just hadn't really experienced that. So that video you're referencing, I was actually trying to help push a guy, another guy's car. He had gotten stuck. Uh, And so me and my wife, our power went out. We were living in the hotel at the time and our power went out at the hotel. So I was actually driving my wife. It was bring your wife to work day at Baylor uh because there's no power. And uh, I said, man, this guy's stuck. I got, he's got no clue how to get out. I got to get out and help him. I had my Jordans on (laughs) and, uh, and I tried to dig in there and try to roll the hips. I was struggling, you know, my stiffness is a liability, but uh, I was able, I was able to get him free. So, but uh, no, Waco's been great. I love Baylor. I love my new old line, great kids, hard workers, and really looking forward to bringing, you know, some O-line pride back to this university, which, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the early, mid, you know, 2010s, you know, there was like four straight years where the O-lineman of the year was from Baylor and uh, wow. the Big 12. And so the goal is to make it where this place is the best place to play offensive line in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. And you are coming from a really awesome stadium at BYU, beautiful, maybe one of the prettiest views in college football at BYU. You're going to McLean Stadium, which I think is relatively new, if I'm correct. And it looks like it's beautiful right in the lake. Have you been? Have you guys? Yeah. Have you practiced there at all? Have you been able to see that? Check that out. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. It's a beautiful stadium. Um, it's funny when when I got hired, um, like my first weekend, I was in Waco. Me and my wife like snuck into the stadium, and we're like <laughs> wanting to look around. And then you know, some people like kind of caught us. We're like, you know, what do you guys? Can we help you? And I was like, well. I'm coaching here now. I was just trying to see the stadium and they ended up giving us a full tour of the whole place. And, uh, but it's beautiful. It's right. It's right next to the river. And, and we, we got to go in there and practice several times this spring. And so it was a nice. lot of fun. And I'm super excited to fill that thing up this fall. Yeah. My, my cousin actually is going to Baylor next next fall. So maybe they'll give me a reason to come down and visit and, and well, check out it, that area. Make sure, make sure they're involved in the Baylor line. Do you know what that is? No. So no the Baylor line, the Baylor line, you gotta you gotta look it up on YouTube. But it's essentially they take all the freshmen, and there's about three thousand freshmen. They put them in one corner of the end zone, and to open the game, all three thousand of them like run across the field from one side to the other. That's and, awesome. Like, create, create a tunnel for the team to run out. So. Mm-hmm. You got to look that up. It's really yeah, cool. Yeah, I will. I'll, I'll definitely look into that. What's going on, everybody? I hope you're enjoying my interview with offensive line coach Eric Mateos. I just wanted to pop in and say this episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. Use code WEARBIGGUYS at checkout or swipe up on my Instagram story, and you'll get 25% off your order and free shipping. Liquid IV, fueling life's adventures. I, I then They didn't tell me to do that, but I think it's fueling life's adventures. It's on the pack, and I just thought that would make it sound a lot more professional if I had that in there. So I hope you enjoy. Check out the code, Liquid IV. I use it. It's amazing stuff. Now, let's get back to our interview with Coach Eric Mateos. Transitioning to off-the-field stuff, I'm going to go into your sneaker. I I've, I think Brady told me you were kind of a sneakerhead. Um, yeah. and you, you mentioned that you were 
pushing the car through Jordans. And I think you just posted a, I, you recently posted a picture with the yellow and green Baylor kind of Jordans. So I, I got to ask, what's your, what's your favorite shoe of all time? Well, I think, <laughs> so I think like my favorite shoe of all time is probably the Nike Cortezes. And okay. there's some history to that because, you know, I think, I think the Cortezes was like my first pair of Nikes when I was in okay. middle school. And so I, my, one of my best friends growing up was a guy named Chris Whitney and his, his godparents would send them new sneakers every month. And I'm like, dude, this guy's got so many sneakers. And I'm like, I'm like rocking some, you know, some new balances and some ponies. And, you know, I was super envious and jealous. Mm. It was terrible of me, but then he started like, he would, he would give me some hand-me-downs, right? And he gave me a pair of Kobe's, right? The first pair of Kobe's that made your feet smell like, <laughs> you know, like fungus. And then, yeah. you know, he gave me a pair of Air Force Ones and he was giving me this. And then my, my parents, I got my first pair of Nike Cortezes in middle school. And I just thought they were the coolest. And, and, then, Bill, and then I'd see Bill Snyder rocking Cortezes for about 20 years on the sideline. And I became <laughs> obsessed. Do you rock the Forrest Gump colorway or do you go with like the white and black one? No. So I've got, so first off, the best thing about the Cortez is you can customize them pretty easily. Yeah. But the Forrest Gump ones, I have not had the Forrest Gump ones, but usually every school I've been at, like when I was at BYU, I made some, some white and Royal ones. And my first pair that I had was actually um, white and so, yeah, like silver or gray. But I need to get some green ones, some some green ones. I, I need the Forrest Gumps are like the originals, though, right? Yeah, so I I bought a pair of those, and I, they're like so nice. I I've worn them probably like five times, if that, because I just don't want to ruin them. That's my problem with like nice sneakers. If I ever get them, I don't want to wear them because then I just scuff them up. So that's my problem. I'm just sitting in my room. So I break that rule. So like my I wear I wear them out. So. Okay. I've chosen, I've chosen to not follow any of the rules. So I don't know that I'm a true sneakerhead because like, I think a true sneakerhead was like, wants to preserve the shoes, Right. but I don't, I just, I just wear them and if they get dirty, I try to clean them and I don't, I wear them. I wear them because I like them. I'm not really into the preservation of them. Although I will say this, I do have a pair of 11 uh, breads from 2019 that I have yet to wear. And mm -hmm. for some reason, I don't know. I haven't found the right occasion. <laughs> almost, almost every other pair of Jordans or sneakers I have, I wear them. I wear, I try to, I have a shoe problem. I mean, I think <laughs> over the summer I counted, over the summer I counted, I think I was at 75 pairs of shoes. Oh, geez. So, so I got a problem. When I moved, when I moved to Texas, I donated about 20 pairs. Nice. Um, but certainly when I got here, I, I filled up with about four more pairs of green or gold Jordans. Yeah. See, I'm on the fence with like the preserving. Cause I, it's like, it's like no different than, you know, buying a nice car or bottle of wine or whiskey. It's like part of me like wants to just keep it. Cause it's kind of cool. Just to like show it off. Um, but I, I also am a believer in like, what's the point of buying it and spending the money if you're not going to like enjoy it, you know? So I'm kind of on the fence well, of both. I think there's, I think there's certain situations or events that, you know, you can break the rule on, on certain pairs, you know? You know, I think, I think with shoes, well, now that I'm married too, I think if I had a lot of pair of shoes that I never wore, I would create some of my own problems. So I try to, <laughs> I try to show, I try to show my wife, Jillian, look, I'm wearing all these, <laughs> all these 
60 parachute, I wear them all. So mm. I don't give any reason where I can't keep them. Because she's into like the, 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 what is it, Marie Kondo, like the condoing, where you just like are constantly like cleaning out things that you don't use or whatever. Uh-huh. She's into that. So if I'm not using stuff, then it's going to get donated. Get to, yeah. So I'm, I'm going through the pairs I'm wearing. So we know you like sneakers. What other things do you like to do outside of football? And I'm sure you're busy a lot of the time. You don't have much free time, you know, being a coach and recruiting and everything. But what are like some of your favorite like guilty pleasures off the field? I would say I love, I mean, I, well, vac- there's two different kinds of things, right? There's like vacation mode coach, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like vacation mode for me is like find a beach wherever it's at, Um me and my wife are going to do Maui this summer. Oh, nice. You know, we've done, I've done, I've done, I've done beaches on every, almost every ocean. I need to get to Asia and <laughs> do something over there. But, um, so that's like vacation mode is like find a beach, get a book, you know, and if I'm too lazy, get a book on tape mm-hmm. and just, and just chill. And then I think it's like, you know, the weekends, like central Texas is awesome with rivers, a lot of rivers of float. I love floating the river. That's always a fun thing to do with with your family or with your friends, and I love doing that. Um, I love going to concerts. I'm a big concert guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like itch. I'm like itching to find my. I haven't been to a concert in I feel like a year and a half. I know. So, like last summer, I had tickets. Last summer, I had tickets to the Black Keys. I had tickets mm, to nice. Chris Stapleton. Man. So, like, I had a few shows lined up before COVID hit. So. I'm a big concert guy. I love going to shows and, and live music. And that's, that's big for me. So those are probably my, my main things that, and Texas is a great place for both. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was just literally talking to my buddy the other day, about how much we miss concerts, like the little things like that. You realize how much you miss it once it's gone. Um, but you mentioned some, some great artists. Do you have a top concert you ever been to that like you, without question, you're like, it's the best person I've seen live. Yeah, so I actually saw, and I mentioned Chris Stapleton, but I actually saw him um, in 2016 in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of the JV squad, like the GAs and analysts at LSU, we went and saw Chris Stapleton in New Orleans. And I tell you what, that guy is so much better live than he is on and you're like, wait, how is that possible? Because his voice is just so good. Amazing. But then you go, you watch him live. He just stands there with his guitar and stares at his wife the whole show. <laughs> and then you got this, this amazing singer who's infatuated with his wife on stage. He doesn't move an inch, but it just blows your face off. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, that's, that's, that was a great show. And then I would say like, anytime, like I've been able to see 311, like 311 was like my band growing up. Mm-hmm. you know, in, in middle school, high school. So um, whenever I got, I got to go see a 311 show. Um, so I'd been a fan for like 15 years. I had never seen him perform. And I got to go to a show, um, I guess it would probably be about five or six years ago now in, in Kansas City. And those guys blew my face off too. So, <laughs> so it was, those are two pretty memorable shows I've been to. Yeah, a new a new guy I started listening to a lot, and he's I think he's a Texas guy. Is Co Wetzel? Are you familiar with him at all? Yeah, yeah. Man, I, if, you, yeah. I, I I listen to my workout. I'm I'm a big country fan as well, and I can listen to anything I work out. Like I've listened to 
stay by Rihanna squatting like 400 pounds. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. Do you have, do you have like a go-to workout playlist or pump up playlist or you just listen to whatever? Well, so it's funny when I, when I was a player, I got really into like listening to relaxing music before games because mm-hmm. I would get, I would get too hyped. Right. Like I would, I, my, I had too much like aggression and energy like inside. And so I knew I had to try and chill myself out before games. So I would actually listen to like opera and mm-hmm. like, you know, like in, in languages, I don't even understand, <laughs> but it would like relax me before a game. <laughs> But now, now I'm really into like, you know, when I'm, when I'm working out, I like, like chili peppers. I like the black keys. Like I like good tempo music. Just rock. Yeah. I mean, not even like just rock as long as it's got tempo, right? Like mm-hmm. I can't, if it's got slow tempo, I can't get into it while I'm working out. I am too. I, I'm, I'm all over the map of music. I like, I like exploring all the different genres. The only one, the only one I can't get into is like screamo stuff. Cause that's just like, I don't have that much energy. I'm a chill. I'm too chill of a person to, to get into that stuff. Um, but anywhere else um, I'm all for, but definitely like rock and country best concerts to go to. Cause I'm, I'm all big on like the actually singing and playing instruments and the whole band versus like EDM or rap where it's just like, I could plug in my laptop myself and play play the same. Yeah, console. they're just kind of they're just kind of they're just kind of like talking the lyrics. I mean, I think if you go like I remember I was at Jazz Fest in New Orleans and like I oh that'd be awesome. I can't remember who was it that I was seeing play. I think it was like I don't know somebody. Anyways, I went from one stage to another stage, and at one stage it was like a rap group. And then I went to this other stage to see a, to see Pearl Jam. And like when you go from mm. that and then you see like Eddie Vedder, like jumping off the stage and swinging from the rafters, it's like, OK, I, this is this is like way more fun. Over <laughs> at this one, this guy's putting on a way better. Show. Exactly. You're definitely in a good place with Texas. I'm sure there's awesome, a lot of awesome concerts go through there. And lastly, what I always ask all my guests, because us being big guys, big uglies, we love our food. So I want to ask you, what is your favorite food? And I know you have been in Waco only for a short period of time, but I also like to have a compile a list of college towns of guys interviewed. What are the spots that myself and or listeners, if we're in Waco, do we need to hit? Yeah, well, I think my favorite food, I mean, and I, I mentioned this uh, recently, you know, like you think of like you got your you got like all your your mom's specialties right like those those are in one category mm-hmm. and like that's like uh they have like sentimental value right so my <laughs> mom's got like i gotta shout her out because she'll 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 bust my chops but like she's got some things on the menu that are like from your childhood that are awesome but i think like once i once i realized what a what a proper steak is that, like cooked right mm-hmm. what that tastes like i don't think i could ever say anything besides you know a 16 ounce ribeye you know <laughs> seared seared uh you know hot and fast on the grill i think that's i think by far my favorite and are you a condiments guy do you put any, like because i know some people like steak guys at least like they don't want anything besides like the salt and maybe some butter but like i know other no. people they like put truffle butter on it they put all this other stuff on it bernay sauce no listen i'm going i'm going salt pepper butter and that's it and uh-huh. a little bit a little bit of blood 
right? Right. I mean, oh, you have to. That's that's the that's the flavor I need, you know, because you know, like, and I guess what my point was is like when you're when you're like kind of growing up, you really like one steak is like the other steak, and like you got this one steak at Chili's, and it's like whatever, okay. Yeah. And then like once you like you have a job and you can buy your own <laughs> meat and your own grill you're like oh wait a second this is this is different um so i would say that i'm kind of like a, a steak snob now okay wow you know? and then i would say um like there's a couple places in in waco where you get a steak but like if you're if you're just like visiting town like obviously like people talk about the magnolia the magnolia stuff and and that's mm-hmm. all like their restaurant is really good and all that and you know george's gets a lot of hype because it's been here since 1940 or whatever but there's um there's an italian like a little hole in the wall italian spot in wow. waco called barris I, I don't even know if i'm saying it right but it's b-a-r-i-s and yeah. it's this little hole in the wall italian spot that's probably some of the best italian food i've ever had wow. and they, may, they have the best bread that you could ever <laughs> that's key so that is the key that's the as as uh one of my mentors jim cheney used to say that's the key to the drill and so <laughs> when you're going italian it's got to come with bread and so barris that's the spot in waco that i think a lot of outsiders and you know what probably all the waco people are going to be mad at me now because i like let the cat out of the bag you're, le- you're leaking it because it's like for the locals it, it has that vibe you go in there and it's yeah like, this okay is, this is where the golfers go after they play and stuff like uh-huh. that but it's it's worth it's all big guys need to know about this. okay that's interesting i honestly when i was expecting like barbecue or something you know so i was interested that's, that's italian I'm not, I'm not gonna get into texas barbecue because that's gonna create some enemies because I'm, I'm a kansas city guy oh so you're I, right we better we better we better not even oh my God. we could have like a whole we could do a whole other episode just on that yeah, we'll follow up on on the five main barbecues in around the country. Wow, that's interesting. So I've only had like the Carolinas. I've never even I never even dabbled with KC or um, Texas barbecues before, and I'm a big barbecue fan. So I I'd be willing to Car- get involved in this. Carolinas Carolinas is definitely more similar to Kansas City than it is Texas. Okay, so, well, so I'm a big like mustard sauce guy. Or like vinegar base, is that is it more KC? Is that um, well? So so yeah, vinegar base. Uh, yes, uh, it's it's a little bit thicker sweet sauce in Kansas City. Okay, there is the, the best mustard based sauce that I've ever had is at a place in Hutchinson, Kansas called Roy's, and it's a little. It's literally like the size of you know. That's uh, how you know it's good. You know it's good. It's called Roy's. It opens at like 11 and they close whenever they run out of meat, which is usually about 2.30. And they got the best mustard-based sauce I've ever had. But <laughs> Kansas City is not really mustard-based. It's more like sweet, molasses-y, you know, vibe, thicker. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely, um, definitely a little bit different. And Texas, again, is not even sauce. So, so what is Texas's barbecue? What distinguishes them? Is it their like, flavor think- profile or what? Like how they I, cook I, it? I think you know, I think everything kind of starts with the with the rub, you know, okay. like in in Texas, and then like, you know, like in Kansas City, if you order brisket or a, or ribs or 
whatever. Everything's, everything's, you know, a little smoke, a little smoke brisket, smoke ribs, but the sauce is a big part of the equation. Whereas in Texas, you know, a lot of guys would pride themselves on you not needing sauce. For right. Meat. Okay. Interesting. You know, so it's a little bit more, everything's a little bit more smoky. Um, That's what I figured. And then like the sides, the sides are all, you know, it's like cream corn, green beans, you know, that's like the standard in Texas and whereas other places is a little bit different, you know, so. So, so is Kansas City, do you have a spot that is like your favorite by far in Kansas City? Yeah, Q, Q39 is like All number right. one by a landslide. Oh, gee, so, okay, this, this is the info we need. Well, this is what the big guys want, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, where, to get, where to get the food. So Q39 is, I think, is the best spot in Kansas City. Okay. Followed, you know, for me, it's like then you've got Arthur Bryant's. Um, Jack Stack is a little bit, you know, it's good, but it's a little bougie, you know. Yeah. And then um, that's where Pat Mahomes goes. Yeah. And then you got Gates, which is like where they all scream at you. And so <laughs> there's, there's, uh, and then, you know, some local spots like Hayward's, shout out Hayward's, you know, that's their throwback. So there's Kansas City. It's hard to find a bad bar. So you you grew up on the Kansas side of Kansas City. Well, there's two Kansas Cities, right? Or what? Yeah, what's, yeah, what's the deal KC, there? Kansas. So are well, you still yeah. are you still KC, a fan KC. of KC teams then? Right? Yeah. So I I, I got dual fanship because I was born in Miami, Florida, and we moved to Kansas City when I was in elementary school. So I'm a I root for the Chiefs, root for the Dolphins. Um, okay. root for the, the Royals, root for the Marlins. So I kind of claim both. So you, you've had you've had a pretty successful fandom then between the Marlins, the case now the Chiefs, the Royals. I, you know, I, I tell people if you're not too loyal to one team, then you can really <laughs> enjoy professional sports. What about the but, OKC yeah, Thunder? What about the Thunder? Is that do you? Do you no, is that, is that kinda, close enough? I was kind of anti-Thunder because Kansas City was supposed to get the Thunder. Like we were like we built Kansas City built the Sprint Center. So you, you spied them. Beautiful arena. So we could get we built it so we could get the Seattle Supersonics to come to Kansas City. And they went to Oklahoma. And they went to Oklahoma City. So I'm a little bit kind of like, you know, I'm I'm Miami Heat basketball wise. <laughs> okay. Full fledged. That's awesome. Well, Eric, that's all I have for you. So thanks again for coming on and I wish you a lot of luck in your upcoming season. Appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. Thanks for everything you do for the big guys. I'm a big, big fan and, and uh, nothing, nothing like promoting the big uglies. As always, I just want to give a big thanks to Eric for coming onto the show. That was an awesome interview. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed recording it. And hopefully we get Eric back on the show after the season to recap how it went. And the last segment of this show, I'm going to talk about the Tim Tebow news just because I can't believe how crazy this has gone in the media. And I feel like I just got to get involved in it somehow. So I'm going to be brief about it and give my opinion on the matter. How I feel is that... In the world, not only in athletics, but in jobs, in school, and wherever, it really all comes down to networking and who you know. And I know I'm not I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just saying this is the reality of life. And if you don't know that yet, 
you should probably get hip to it because it's never going to change. And I view the situation as no different than people getting jobs or people getting internships or people getting into certain schools or whatever. Tim Tebow and Urban Meyer have a good relationship. And Urban Meyer is now the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Tim Tebow is getting this opportunity because of that, because of that relationship they have together. No other reason. And he went and tried out, and they deemed that he was good enough to join the team as a potential tight end, maybe a potential Taysom Hill kind of guy. And he's on the team now, and he's got a shot, even though he hasn't played in eight years or whatever, however long it's been. And everyone's up in arms about this because they think it's unfair. People are bringing Kaepernick into it. It's just become like a, a media firestorm. And I honestly don't know why. I feel like this isn't that big of a deal. It's pretty obvious what's going on here. And everyone's just so mad about it. And at the end of the day, life's not fair. Tim Tebow's going to get a shot over a guy that doesn't know name tight end because it's Tim Tebow. Like, that's how it works. That's how life works. And I feel like the only reason that this is even a story is because it's a name and it's the offseason and people just love creating drama, especially when it comes to Tim Tebow. People have always hated Tebow from the get-go just because of his faith and the way he carries himself and, and all that. So I'm not surprised that this has become such a huge deal, but I just think it's extremely unfair just to hate on a guy and wish him ill because he got a shot because he knows the head coach in the NFL. Everyone listening to this podcast, myself included, you're telling me you want to take the job that Tim Tebow just got? Like, get out of here. Y'all. Everyone acts like they're like the holy mother. And then when push comes to shove, they'd be doing the same exact thing. So I don't want to hear any Tim Tebow trash talking or slander. In my opinion, it doesn't even matter that he's on the Jaguars. Good for him. Maybe he makes it. Maybe he doesn't. And and no sweat off anyone's back. He's literally going to be a camp guy, and maybe he makes a team or maybe not. Maybe he's a gadget guy. Maybe not. If anything, if he still has a decent arm, maybe he'll throw him in the playbook for a trip play or something or fake punts. or You never know. So I, I, I trust Urban Meyer's judgment whether he's helping out a friend or not, that they might be able to use him in a valuable way for extremely cheap. So I wish him all luck. I don't know why everyone hates on it. It's just something that has been blown out of proportion just because it's been a slow media week. And since we are just over the hour mark, I'm going to wrap this episode up. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for the support. Thank you so much for buying Luke at IV with my code. Thank you so much for following. Thank you so much for just everything in general. Please subscribe. Please follow. Please leave a review. Give me five stars. The whole shebang. I I could go on and on about all the different stuff. Follow. If you haven't been following, which I'm surprised if you aren't. If you're a new person, no. Maybe maybe you don't know anything about the We Are Big Guys. Follow We Are Big Guys at We Are Big Guys. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, everything at We Are Big Guys. If you want some big guy merch, shop WeAreBigGuys.com. I made it as simple as possible for everyone to be a part of the big guy community. Everything is weird, big guys. So thank you so much for all the support again and see you next episode.